The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm joined today by Tim Foster. Hello. And Chris Orak, Public Information Officer for the Department of Water Resources. Good morning. And uh, Chris, thank you very much for coming here today and chatting a little bit. I wanted to ask you about snow and water and a few things in between. And uh, what prompted this discussion was I noticed, I think it was yesterday. You Tuesday. Did the, Tuesday. Tuesday. You did the snow survey. Um, what's involved in that and what did you find out? Well, April is typically when we find the deepest snow with the most water content. We yeah. go up there every month starting in January, uh, usually around the first of the month, uh, January through April and sometimes into May, uh, to see how deep the snow is and how much water it has. And that's real important because our snowpack is about 30% of our overall water storage in California. So you combine that with our groundwater and with our reservoirs, and that's where we get our water that goes to agriculture needs, environmental needs, and most importantly, residential needs. I tell all these stories, um, I guess this morning and yesterday morning, talked about the huge snowpack, gargantuan snowpack, I think the Chronicle, that, that was their headline, you know. Um, is that is that correct? I mean, do we have a huge snowpack up there? Is it bigger than normal? Or? It is. We're well above average. So statewide, we're at about 162% of average. Uh-huh. Um, but more importantly, at Phillips Station, which is right off Highway 50 as you're going up by Sierra Tahoe, we've been going to that location every year since 1941 mm-hmm. and multiple times a year since 1964. So it's kind of like our historical reference. It's right around 8,000 mm-hmm. feet, which is where we like to see the, the best snow at. Um, when we went up there on Tuesday, the second, we found the fifth most water content of snow in history up there. Wow. So really? since 1941, it was the fifth best water content. And water content, snow is made up of air and water. So we mm-hmm. want to see how much water is in there. So we know when it starts to melt, how much is going to run down our rivers and streams and into our reservoirs and potentially uh, the need for flooding uh, as it goes down. And, and so we're ready for that if that happens. Can you, do you have any, um, do you do any kinds of predictions for flood control about what a, a snowpack of this size might mean if we have, say, an exceptionally warm spring, for example? Do we, is, is there a correlation between the there problem is. of flooding and how much snow we've got? There is, and as we saw in 2017 when we had the historic year of precipitation after five years of historic drought, mm-hmm. we did see some flooding when the snowpack started to melt and run off, especially in the San Joaquin River and the San Joaquin Valley. Yeah. Um, we did see some up here in the uh, American and, and, uh, and uh, Sacramento River uh, watersheds. Um, it's something we're constantly looking at. We have a whole group that all they do is study that. They put out forecasts um, so that we're ready as that snow starts to melt. And that's, that's the other point about April 1st. After April 1st, the sun's a little higher in the sky. It's hitting the snowpack a little bit more, putting some more radiation, start heating that up. Mm-hmm. But what's important about this year is when we were up there on April 2nd, it was snowing and raining. Usually uh, and typically, California receives 90% of their rain December through the end of February. Um, so this year we had over 30 atmospheric rivers, those heavily water-laden storms that come in yeah. um, from the Pacific Ocean. Usually we only get five to six all water year. This year we got six in February alone, bringing a lot of water into California, improving that very healthy snowpack. But they were also met by the cold storms that came down from Alaska. So it really increased that snowpack 
and made it water dense and a lot colder than normal. So we're hoping that as long as we get just gradual heating mm -hmm. uh, as we go into the spring and the summer, we'll get a slow melt off and not have to worry as much of flooding. Uh -huh. But if that flooding happens, if we get a prolonged hot period, we are monitoring and we're ready with what we need to do for that. Have we ever had years where it didn't all melt in the Sierra? Well, at the very high altitudes, yeah, uh -huh. but majority of it will melt. And um, but you know, let's so that twenty seventeen snowpack is long gone. The twenty seventeen, oh yeah, the twenty seven. And, and last year we actually had below average snowpack, uh, below average precipitation in twenty eighteen. Um, but let's look back just four years ago, uh, April first of twenty fifteen. Then Governor Jerry Brown came up to that exact same location at Phillips Station. Yeah. That a couple of days ago we had a hundred and six and a half inches of snow. And of that, 51 inches was water. In 2015, when he came up there, there was no snow in that field at all. Yeah, I remember. It Is that was, the one where the, it was brown? It was yeah. Yeah, yeah the pole out that. there and, and everything. And, and Bad news, but a great photo. You know? Right, right. And that was at the height of our drought. And yeah. it shows the variability and extremes of climate in California. And that's what we're seeing more and more of. I'm a Southern California native. I remember in the 80s that we didn't get any rain for a long period of time. Then all of a sudden, 87, 88 hit, and we just got torrential rainstorms down there. Um, we like to say it's not if, it's when we're going to get our next drought. And we don't know how long that next drought's going to be. But we went from that historic drought to a historic year of precipitation in 2017. We had the most rain on record to the next year being below average to this year being above average. We just keep seeing there's no normal anymore. We keep seeing those fl great fluctuations, which means... When that is the normal now. That is the new normal. And mm -hmm. it's more important that we manage that water properly. And it's more important that Californians, and they really have stepped up in conservation. You know, they're mm -hmm. turning off their faucet when they brush their teeth and taking shorter showers and not running the dishwasher until it's full. People have really stepped up since that drought. We've done our part. We've stopped taking showers at Capitol well, Weekly, and, you know, it's helped. I noticed that when I came in, yeah. <laughs> Where does the, um, the the Sierra snowmelt feeds the rivers, uh, some of which go into the delta? What about north of Sacramento? Uh, the Sierra extends up that way. So what? Uh, where does it go there? Right. It goes in the Feather River Basin uh, that comes down and, and the American River Basin, uh, the Sacramento River, all that. It will come down through there and it comes down to the confluence, which is right there yeah. uh, okay. in West Sac and uh, down through the delta. Mm -hmm. um, before 41... Did we have any organized way of measuring the snowpack? Did we feel the need to, or is it just something that in 41 decided we'd something we better, we better do and start on it? Yeah, our records only go back to 1941, and that's the history we started, uh, the Cooperative Snow Survey, which uh, we go out with our partners across the state, uh, at different irrigation districts, water districts, uh -huh. public utilities. We measure over 206 manual courses every month. Uh, during the winter time. And then we also have about 150 uh, automated, what we call snow pillars. So these are at the real high elevations that we can't get to uh, uh -huh. during the winter with our manual sur surveys. And daily, they send us back reports of how the snowpack is at those higher elevations, really? what the depth is, how much water is in there, um, various different data that helps us judge the whole Sierra from yeah. the bottom to the top. So there are more than 300 measuring points, 300 plus, that are sending you data all the time. Right. And I'm assuming you probably have like satellite surveys and things like that as well? So one of the newer things that we're doing and we've done the last couple of years and we're really increasing is through NASA's uh, JPL, mm -hmm. um, we have been working on an aerial snow observatory. And that's a fixed wing aircraft that flies over the snowpack 
has a LIDAR and radar and sonar and all that that shoots down into the snowpack. And it really helps us measure some of those areas that we would take us two or three days to get out to um, and that we can't put the automatic pillars at. Um, And it's giving us real-time data on what our snowpack is doing. It's an amazing new technology that we're utilizing to help us manage water in California. Are there are there personnel at these remote locations? I know, like the remember the forest rangers used to have somebody out there in the middle of the forest, you know, checking for fires. And are there are there snow watchers out there in the middle of nowhere? Um, not that are stationed out there, but there are oh, multiple be a good cabins. Story, you know? We do go out there. There's some of our manual surveys that it takes a day to get out. I was talking to one of our snow surveyors the other day. Um, and the road was completely uh, inundated with snow. It took them eight hours just to get out to the location to do their measurements, wow. and then another seven hours was to get back. Was that up north here or downtown? I was up north. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Um, d- historically, you mentioned this is the fifth deepest snow for Phillips Station. For yeah. Phillips Station, snow water content. Snow water content. Uh, what kind of range in the snow water content is there? I mean, you mentioned about half is snow, half is water, or half right is now. ice, half is, right now. Have you had uh, more proportions of, of water and snow than that? Um, yeah, I mean, we've had four times that we've had yeah. more. Uh, you know, what we're looking at is our percentage of where we're at. And we, once again, we base a lot on April 1st because that's typically when the snow's as deep as oh, yeah. okay. water. So right now we're at 162% of our April 1st average. Uh-huh. Um, but last year we were only at, I believe, 23% of our April 1st average when we hit April. Hmm. Um, so that's that big fluctuation. Uh, a couple of years ago in 2010, I believe, which was the last year where we really had good snow up there yeah. before the drought, we were at 170% of the average. So right about where we are right now. So in snow, if right now about 50% of the snow is water, 50% is air, what's the range? Does it like some? Could you have snow that's 20% water? You could. Uh, on a whole, we're looking at about uh, 40 to 50% uh, across the state from our calculations. That's sort of the norm? Um, no, not, not no, no, it's, there is no more norm. Oh, okay. Um, it just depends. Uh, in 2017, when we had that increased precipitation but warm storms, the water content was actually lower because it didn't freeze and stay in the pack. It melted off quicker or ran off quicker mm-hmm. um, because the storms were just so warm that they didn't freeze and turn into snow. Um, so there is a wide variability. We started the year, and I'm trying to think, we were at probably about two, three feet of snow in our January survey, but we only had about eight inches of water content. So wow. uh, big. So big the longer it's on the ground, the more water content there is. If more snow comes on, Correct. it forces the compaction. More rain, right? yeah, and compacts it. Yeah, and that's keeps- the density. The more it compacts, the denser it's going to be with water. Um, If we have a light, you know, they say there's that uh, cement, the the snow cement, which is the heavier water type snow. This one you look at like a cross cut of it and it's white and a little less white and then it gets a little bluish and darker blue. Right, right. And that's that's a heavier snow because it has more water versus the light fluffy stuff that you see on top, the powder that a lot of skiers like when they go out there. That has a little bit more air in there than water. Mm-hmm. Um, what we saw when we went up a couple days ago is there's actually some layers and some, some striations in the snow where it's melted during the day and then refroze at night and created yeah. an ice layer. So our surveyors actually had to do multi-sampling. So they went down as far as they could and usually hit a low resistance from those ice layers and then came up, measured that, and then went straight down the same hole 
without as much uh, friction in the pole with the snow that they mm-hmm. had originally had and broke through those layers um, to get the rest of the sampling. As far as water goes for people downstream like us, is the freezing, refreezing, freezing, refreezing, more snow, refreezing, does that improve the water content or the amount of water we would get down here? Or does it affect it at all? Well, no. It, it, what that does is it helps it stay frozen for a longer period of time because okay. the more cold snow that's higher up in the pack mm-hmm. uh, will help that snow that's down lower stay frozen longer. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's what we like to see. We want to see a slow melt-off of that so that as we use the water from our reservoirs mm-hmm. uh, during the spring and early summer, um, then we have that melt-off that comes and replenishes that. Too fast of a melt-off could lead to flooding or could lead to the uh, need to release more water from our reservoirs than we could use downstream. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, average level of snow uh, at a particular station over time? I'm, I'm wondering, Phillips is it's a good station for a lot of reporters to get up there. They can go up on 50. It's easy for officials to get up there. But are there other points at about that altitude, at about 8,000, that you say, here's what we got at Phillips. Let's compare that with what we got. We do. Uh, Tamarack, which is just uh, below Phillips on Uh 50. Uh, And then there's another one, Alpha, that's just above Phillips. Uh And we're seeing about the same, uh, both Tamarack, Alpha, and Phillips. We're comparing those together. Those are right around the same elevation, which is about 7,500 feet, Uh um, just below Echo Summit. Um, And then it's a little different higher up. So this year, as we were talking about before we started, we have a little bit more evenly distributed snow in the Sierra. Um, 8,000 foot mark is about where we look. Mm -hmm. This year, it's about 40% below uh, 8,000, about 60% above. In comparison, in 2017, with the historic rain, warm year, we only had about 18% snow packed below 8,000 feet. The rest of it was above above 8,000 feet. Uh Um, Is there any uh, expectation? uh, Do you have weather forecasting, or do you do climate forecasting in some fashion to give you an idea what might be coming what to expect or is that we do unfortunately our technology only allows us to go out about 10 days with any accuracy Uh so we're constantly looking at the next 10 days out and seeing what we're bringing we have here we are at the beginning of april um we have another storm coming in tomorrow friday uh april 5th and then uh it's looking like maybe tuesday of next week we're going to get another storm um so you know, the normal in California for climate is there is no more normal. Yeah. We're looking at these variabilities. In years past, we wouldn't see any type of measurable precipitation in the month of April. But on the wow, second, really? when we were up in Phillips, it was snowing so hard I couldn't even see across the field. And you've been able to track, I mean, this the, this climate change issue, you can track that over time and see right. the increase incrementally. It's getting... It's getting more variable, Uh Uh, and that's the only thing I could say because, you know, in the past when they were talking about it, when the issue of climate change first came up, it was global warming, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, but now what we're seeing is it's not just global warming. It's colder extremes and warmer extremes, drier extremes and wetter extremes. Uh Nothing right down the middle anymore. There was a guy, I, I cannot, I tried to remember his name before we started chatting, but there was a guy in Davis who got a lot of attention, this must have been 15 or 20 years ago, uh, by doing long, long-term long weather forecasting. And every paper in the state covered him, TV stations were covering him, and he, he tried to do forecasting for the following season. In the middle of one year, he would talk about what was coming in the, in the wet 
part of the right. next year. Is that, uh, do you have any long-term, you mentioned 10 days, I'm just wondering yeah. if you have any long-term forecasting that you... We are trying to look at what's called season-to-season season forecasting, Yeah, uh-huh. um, and that is something that we're really trying to improve. Uh-huh. Uh, the technology just isn't completely there to their to be accurate, yeah. but we do look at that and we compare season to season and we compare what we've seen this year to last year and years in the past, which allows us to compare those to say, if we're seeing these type of um, issues now and this type of forecast, this type of weather now, and it's the same as this year, what did that bring back then? Mm-hmm. Is it going to bring us the same this year? Mm-hmm. So speaking of forecasting, the amount of water and the water runoff affects all of vegetation, which then in turn affects the wildfire season the next year. Do you have, does this give you any sense of what the coming, the end of the year's wildfire season is going to look like based on the water you're seeing currently? Does that give you any idea on that? Right. Unfortunately, California doesn't have a wildfire season anymore. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you, uh, if you look at the last three years, day wildfire right, season. You know, the Thomas fire down in Ventura and Santa Barbara happened in December, January. In fact, uh, the fire was still going on when the rain came and those mud flows that happened in Santa Barbara County uh, that, that killed all those people. The fire was still happening when it was raining. Um, and that was the largest fire in California for nine months. And then it was overtaken by Carr and the Mendocino Complex fire. So, yeah, we do have concerns when we get this much precipitation. You see those gorgeous uh, blooms down in Southern California of the of the uh, wildflowers, the super blooms. Anytime you have increased precipitation, uh, increased increased water, you're going to get increased uh, foliage and and shrub growth, Mm -hmm. which then during our hot, dry months, because we know California typically does not see any rain during the summer and we have very hot summers, um, dries out and creates fuel for those wildfires. And Mm -hmm. we work closely with uh, CAL FIRE and other agencies in California uh, to know what's going on there. And CAL FIRE has done a great job over the last couple years of looking at what we need to do as far as maintaining uh, California against wildfires. But there's not a lot you can do when that comes and, and you see what happened last year. Uh, just the amazing devastation that, that's happened. That is a, an unfortunate side effect is providing that fuel once we get these wet years. And you've seen the correlation in the past between lots of rain and lots of water in the Sierra and then the following when it dries, right. season gets ready to fire. Well, we had that historic year in 2017 and then in 2018 we had all those historic wildfires. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, a good correlation there, but that's not something that we really concentrate on. CAL FIRE mm-hmm. has experts that work on that all the time and, and uh, have been leading across the world really in, in looking at that. Mm-hmm. Have there been any uh, any flood forecasts at all? Any uh... Uh, So far we've been pretty good this season. Uh-huh. I mean, we did have some issues back in February. Uh, there was an issue up in Cache Creek, which is just outside the community of Yolo and Yolo oh, County, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we had some overtopping of a uh, levee oh, down there. Is that, that's by Clear Lake, right? Up um, no, it's down a little bit farther up off five. Okay, uh, Clear- Cafe Valley area? Or? Yeah, it's it's the community of Yolo. So it's right oh, okay. off okay. Highway 5 yeah. by Woodland. Yeah. Um, and But that was the, the capacity in the... Uh, and the levees there was about where it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened is there were some ro- rodents in the levees. There was a tree root that went through one of the levees. And the community really came out strong. They were The community was out there with our flood flight specialists from Department of Water Resources putting sandbags on top, and we mitigated as much as we could. 
Um, I'm sure most of your listeners have seen the Yellow Bypass, which is just an yep. amazing part of our uh, flood infrastructure. has been filled with water. Mm-hmm. We did not need to use uh, the, the Sacramento Weir this year, which is the mm-hmm. only manually operated weir in our infrastructure. Uh, our other weirs, which are basically like infinity pools, they're a low spot on the river. Uh-huh. Okay. Naturally, water naturally flows over those. Those all flew. Those all had flow yeah. during this. The Tisdale and and you know what I noticed on the Yolo Bypass. I've gone over it a couple times uh, in the last week or so, and the water seemed muddier and not as I, I recall going over before. It was almost like an inland ocean. Yes, that's what and, we call it. Yeah, yeah, it was just amazing. This time the water wasn't moving as quickly. Maybe because they didn't open that weir. Right, and 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 the the reason we didn't need to open the weir, yeah. we only open that weir when the levels at the I Street Bridge yeah. get above twenty nine. I think it's twenty nine point eight seven feet and continue to rise. Typically, we're not going to see that unless there's a big release from Shasta and Orville. Okay, and as we know, Orville. We didn't use the spillway until just this week. So typically, we don't need to use that weir there that's over in West Sac, um, which is where the Sacramento American Rivers come together. And what that was built for is because of the flooding in uh, 1908 in downtown Sacramento. That takes the water away from downtown and puts it out into that bypass. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a great, great uh, project. It's a, it's a great tool that we have. Mm-hmm. We just didn't need to use it this year. We used it back in seventeen. Here's an amateur question: How do you measure the, that foot? You mentioned twenty nine feet. How do you measure that? Where is that measured from? I look at the. I go over the Ice Street Bridge all the time. I look at it. It goes very close to the top. Right. And the closer it gets, I go, oh my gosh, because I live about three miles south of that on a street right next to the river. I don't live on the river across the street from it. It looks to me like it's getting higher and higher and higher, but it doesn't sound, to a water professional, it doesn't sound like a big deal. Well, we have hundreds of tools uh, in our rivers uh, across the state that measure the height of the river and the flow of the river at those points. Mm -hmm. Um, And they relay it back to us in real time. And when we have a lot of rain, when we have a lot of um, flow, um, we daily are monitoring those. And so it tells us that here's the floor of the, uh, of the riverbed. And that's and where they measure it from, the floor. Yeah, yeah. we measure okay. it from. And, and uh, as it continues to move up, we see that and we see the projections as well based on flow higher up the river of what's coming down. Mm-hmm. And that, that allows us to look at it and make the nece- excuse me, necessary uh-huh. things that we need to, to help with that. Well, I have to tell you, I'm usually not worried about this stuff, but this year I got flood insurance. <laughs> flood insurance, even though the great. feds told me they didn't have to, but yeah, I got it. Yeah. Flood insurance is a great thing to have. Yeah. It, you know, it's not that expensive, and a lot of people don't know that your normal homeowner's insurance doesn't cover you in case of flooding. I didn't yeah. know that till the Oroville Dam spillway failed, and I was like, "Wait, what do you mean I'm not covered?" For this? <laughs> yeah, 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 and totally. also it takes 30 days for it to yeah. go into effect unless you're buying a new home. Yeah. If you buy a new home, it goes into effect the day you buy the. The home, but if you're just buying it, it's 30 days out. So you can't say, "Oh, there's a lot of water coming. I'll buy flood insurance today." Yeah. No, that doesn't work yeah, that way. Right. And so you're saying people really, should buy today for uh, later in the spring. Yeah, we really encourage uh, people to have flood insurance. It's just one of those things you have in your back pocket. It gives you a little bit more peace of mind if that happens and, and there is so, some flooding and, and your valuable possessions are are affected by that. Okay. Well, on that happy note, uh, we'll say thank you. Chris Warwick, thank you very much. John, thank you. Tim Foster, thank you. Tim, thank you. Thank you. And this is John Howard. We'll see you next time around. Thank you.